0: Hello, and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is a podcast where we speak to amazing, scintillating and um, incredible people from across the world that inspire comedians like you and me to live this comedy journey on our own terms. If Now this special guest, all the way from Australia, he, he's a man who wrote a special article on how to MC. He's a man who's been traversed in the comedy world for over a decade. hes He's, he's, he's dipped his pond in the uk <laughs> that's the no he's he's he's, he's 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 tipped his toe in the water for the in the there uk comedy scene but he's an australian veteran comic uh his name has a very good ring to it it's danny mcginley lay or is it mcginley or mcginley
1: Oh, it's both. It doesn't really matter. I don't get angry about the pronunciations. But yeah, people, British people love my name for some reason. I remember being backstage at the comedy store and there was some comic just kept saying "Danny McGinley. Danny McGinley. It's such a good name. You should, oh, you should be famous. How many goals did Danny McGinley score? Oh, you got a hat trick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and what did you say? <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure, mate. I was, I was about to do my first 10 minutes the, at the comedy store in London. So I was just like, yeah, thanks, mate. I'm a bit too nervous <laughs> to really talk to you. Okay. Ooh.
0: This, 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 it's, it's, yeah, and it's it's incredible. Um, what's it called? The comedy store in the UK. And there's there's, there's one in Australia, isn't there? And then there's one, the original one is in LA. Then Don Ward went over there and did one over in the UK. And then there's also one in Australia in, there in Sydney.
1: Yeah, there is in Sydney. It's, uh, I don't think Don Ward or um, uh, Paulie Shaw's mum had anything to do with it. I think they just stole the name. Uh, but that's <laughs> probably the lo- that is definitely the longest running club in uh, could be Australia, definitely in New South Wales. And uh, yeah, right now it's owned by Century, who own the Sydney Comedy Festival. Uh, so I think it's brilliant. It's a great thing because I want more work from the Sydney Comedy Festival. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Pretty no it is it's a great room it's uh i haven't been to the los angeles comedy store but definitely it seems to be a name that is reserved for the uh the premier clubs not that uh commit you know uh, instant laughs isn't you know second t- you know up there as well
0: oh no let's be honest i'm mostly a comedian it is it is on the uh, on the it's, it's it's an all right level but it's no comedy store <laughs> yeah yeah but uh yeah it's 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 so well, one thing i found with the London Comedy Store and the, with the LA Comedy Store, they got like four or five rooms. They got two of them have over 120 in them, but you have to pay a dr- two drinks and a and a meal. No, the two drinks to get into the LA Comedy Store, and you have to um, also pay the ticket, and yeah. they got all these different rooms. They have a lot of celebrities in, and what they do that's a bit strange is they just get the first act to do is set. And then there's no MCing. He just introduces the act one after the other.
1: Yeah, it is. It, it's a very odd way they do things over there. And I suppose they, you know, America, quote unquote, invented stand-up comedy. So yeah. we should do it their way. But I guess the Brits just uh, improved it. Actually, I don't know enough about the history of comedy of, of where it started and how it organically came to other countries. But you need a host. For God's sake, you need a host. Although they also, in America, they go till 2 in the morning. You know, you hear the stories of, you know, big-name comedians when they first started, you know, you saying, oh, I couldn't get on at the improv until 2am. And I go, who's watching a show at 2am? Like, what sort of marathon audience member has that level of patience
0: only those that are really into hardcore drugs
1: (laughs) (laughs) well they're definitely the people who want to sit still and listen
0: but but it's yeah it's a it's a it's does that happen in australia where people get bumped off for a celebrity
1: uh i don't i'll be i'll be honest marvin i i don't really play the open mic rooms in Australia anymore. They seem, there's a bit of a, um, I guess, a class system, you could almost say here, that um, once you're sort of uh, at, a, at a pro level, like we have new material rooms, which you, where, where commit, you know, pro comics go down and do them, but I haven't done a proper open mic for a, for a long time. I, but I think at open mics, people can get bumped. But uh, usually if a big name drops in, they just let them go on and then whoever's on doesn't get bumped, but they get moved to later. Yeah. I've never heard of someone saying, you know, no, you can't be on tonight because, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a big name, Australian comedian that the, the British people would have heard of, uh, you know, Jim Jeffries has popped in.
0: Oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's incredible. Did, did he start in Australia or did he start in the UK? That's, that's an interesting question.
1: I, f- I first met him in London because uh, I-, I lived in London 2005, 2006. And I remember meeting Jim Jeffries backstage at a club in East London who was run by a bloke. And his name was the name of the club. And I can't remember it now, but uh, it was called like the Backyard Comedy Club. Like, you know. Oh, yes. The- uh you know you know jeff smith's backyard comedy club anyway um and w- i was with uh my girlfriend at the time who i, who I did who was i ended up marrying um and we just sang king kong this is how long it is ago the peter jackson king kong and uh we met G- and you know just oh there's another australian g'day jeff uh you know jim my name's danny and we're, we're chatting and he said, like, yeah, we just saw King Kong and he'd just seen it. And him and my, at the time, girlfriend had this big discussion about the pacing and the cinematography and <laughs> the script, right? And it was this really intelligent discussion. He goes, oh, wait, I've got to go on. And we went, oh, sweet. Yeah, we'll come watch. I want to see what this guy who just had some really great ideas about comedy uh, you know, and then he gets on stage it's sort all of like, hey women, I want to su- I want you to suck my dick. Let me fuck your face. We go, how is this the same bloke? <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's an odd cat. But yeah, I've gigged with him many times as soon. I think he did, I'm not sure if he started in Australia or Britain. I don't know him that well. I've only met him like half a dozen times since. And I don't think he would even remember me. I definitely wouldn't know my name. But uh, like he's definitely he's probably the biggest Australian comedian in the world, I would say, unless I'm thinking of I'm really glaringly missing someone obvious.
0: No, he probably is. I mean, there's Tim Minchin, yeah. but I mean he's not nowhere near his level.
1: No, and Tim Tim gave up stand up for a few years. So definitely yeah. the, the highest working comedian would be Jim Jeffries. And full credit to him. Adam Hills would be top five as well, I guess. Yeah. Dame Edna. <laughs> I mean, we yeah.
0: And What about Dame? Oh, yes, she she, is. I I would love to have them on a podcast to find out how they came up with... I I don't know what to say here. How they came up with the idea
1: of the character? Oh, Dame Edna was... uh, It's a guy called Barry Humphreys, uh, who has retired now. Um, Edna, She wasn't Dame Edna when she started, in the, like, the 50s. She was vaudeville. He was just, you know, putting on a dress and doing a drag act, who was this suburban housewife. With a high opinion of herself, and it just it just never never stopped. Uh, And you know, he was big in Britain, big in uh, pretty big in America in the '90s and Australia. Yeah, of course, we we loved her.
0: Hmm. It's it's yeah. I I always thought this is the one person that the Queen would love to invite for tea.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I would pay a lot of money to watch Dame Edna and have tea. Yeah, that's that would be brilliant.
0: Oh, wouldn't it be good to have her and bloody uh, uh, Harry and Meghan?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I'm not fully across the royals. Didn't didn't Harry quit or something?
0: Yeah, they both quit. They did this. Um, I won't go into it, but there was a big um, uproar saying that they said a member of the royal family is being racist towards them, or saying they said it on Oprah Winfrey. It was a oh, big day. Uh-huh. I I I mean, I I when it comes to stuff like this. I'd keep my nose above water and I get on with it and I don't say anything on it. Mate.
1: Fair enough. Well, you're safe with me because I actively do not care. As soon as you started <laughs> talking, then about a member of the royal family, my brain went change subject. I don't, God, I do not care. Yes, that, that's
0: definitely me as well. It's, 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 <laughs> yeah. Screw them. No, I'm joking.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, Actually, I remember I, I, the one time I've I got slagged off by some royal watchers is uh, I was doing some, uh, an Australian television show, and they, you know, it was like a newsy show. We chat about things, and they said, "What do you think about the royal wedding?" And I, and I said, "I actively don't care," and, uh, and I said, "Why do anyone care about the royal family now that we have democracy? It's like someone getting excited that there's a new VHS, and all of us are on streaming."
0: It is, yeah, it's completely, I don't, it's, I mean, they make the UK a bit of money, but that's, that's it really, isn't it? It's, it's as long as they bring you something in.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, would if I, I would rather go watch, uh, you know, your, your football than your, your Royals, that's surely Premier League just replaces, uh, the Royals as the main, income. like that's, that's all the touristy, I mean, I'm a sports, uh, uh, I was gonna, I'm gonna say Bogan, even though that word means, Bogan sort of means chav here in australia oh Uh, so i'm a i'm a bit of a sports uh so yeah my my dream if i came back to uh the uk and i hope to one day i'm just gonna do gigs and try and go to as many uh premier league uh, matches as possible because i i wasn't into as we call it soccer and then i lived there for two years and uh i just got addicted it's such a, a brilliant game and I loved all the singing and the tribalism and yeah, it's, it's because we are, I'm a big Australian rules football fan. That's my favorite sport. And uh, it's, it's actually quite, it's rough on the field, but in the stands, we're quite tame. Like all the fans will sit with opposition fans. There's no issue. Never any punch on. No. everything so i i was a bit oh yeah it freaked me out when uh you know just seeing you know two innocuous in in my eyes innocuous teams like west ham united against west brom and i just i was and there was just all these cops everyone i go come on they're both west what are they what have they got so much in common they both love football but you know they you guys do you guys do the 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 rivalries properly i guess oh
0: we definitely do i mean it is it is proper hatred and it is a bit like a religion sometimes with football
1: yeah well my dad's from glasgow so my team is celtic so i know all about religion and football as well
0: oh, you're an expert <laughs> in it
1: <laughs> first game i went to was a celtic rangers match and uh and god it was yeah it was a real eye-opener for considering the most you'll ever get yelled at you know, at an australian game uh, at an australian sporting event is if you try to smuggle beer in uh they'll you know they'll take the beer off you and pour it out and that is the worst thing they can do here
0: Oh, bloody hell. That's very nice of them. That's very kind.
1: <laughs> it's very, uh, I did, um, I, I was, I'm going to drop a name here. When I lived in London, I became friends with uh, just another jobbing comedian who I, I thought was quite funny. And he was very friendly named Greg Davies, who is now oh, of course, uh, oh, you know, massive and, and huge. He came out to Australia for the Melbourne Comedy Festival. And I was having a beer with him. Uh, and this random heroin addicted guy just ca- approached us on the street and he saw Greg and he went, Jesus, mate, you're so fucking tall. And Greg's going, uh, yeah, yeah. And he goes, ah, good on you. And walked off and Greg looked <laughs> at me and, and said, fucking hell, even your junkies are friendly. This country is backwards.
0: <laughs> That's probably, that <laughs> you guys do have that reputation, don't you, in terms of being more friendly. Whilst the British, we get known for being very miserable.
1: Yeah, yeah, just, uh, well, it's weird. You've got the, what it, I mean, the English, you're just, you're so, we can't even pin down one stereotype for the countries anymore because you're such a divided nation. You get the, um, you know, the, the, the very progressive Londoners and the very uh, backwards Brexiters and the even, even, in, even in Glasgow where my dad's from, I found that people were either the friendliest humans you will ever meet or it's someone who wants to stab you because they don't like your eyebrow.
0: <laughs> it's yeah, it is quite it's quite unique. I mean, I hear that Glasgow's calm down a bit, though, but it's, you know, still got a bit of the violence there.
1: Does it? Oh, brilliant. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm following Scottish soccer a lot now because um, They've got a, the the Celtic manager is a guy from Melbourne named Ange Postecoglou, who oh. is uh, my favourite, one of my favourite sporting people of all time, and to have him manage the team that my family goes for is very exciting. Anyway, we're supposed to talk about comedy. Sorry, I can. This <laughs> is what I do. You talk about royals, my brain goes change the subject, and my brain goes <laughs> sport. Everyone wants to hear about sport. I know. I know they don't. So yeah. Anyway, let's talk comedy. What do you want to know?
0: How how did you how did you get started and how did you become a comic? Like what what was your journey into that?
1: yeah i did it straight out of high school i was one of those uh, early early stuff. i even did a couple of gigs even in high school uh just because i was i was that keen and uh i yeah you just i mean like like everyone you just start doing the amateur nights and you never stop keep doing it until you're less and less shit. and uh yeah it's it, it's, it's it's all i ever wanted to do and thankfully it's it's worked out so far
0: but how 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 was sort of like the australian sort of how was the australian circuit back then and how is it now was it was it all you right man, mate if you do a good set don't
1: worry son you're going to be a pro for life was it like that or what's how did it work yeah, back then how does it work it like? now yeah i mean obviously change that accent to a bit more yeah mate you just get laughs and you'll be right yeah now oh get get just just make them fucking laugh Fuck it Uh, It was a bit like a lot of, yeah, when I first started, it was very um, blokey. Uh, You you know, there wasn't very many, there was a few female comics, but they were often blokier than the men. Uh, It wasn't very ethnically diverse. And uh, yeah, you'd you'd play these proper pubs, like, you know, uh, you know, sticky carpet, you know, clubs that would have bands on normally would have comedy on midweek. And then, and so, yeah, but now it's obviously, yeah, like like everywhere it's, uh, we've got three uh, big pro clubs in Melbourne now. We've got, uh, you've got the Comics Lounge, which is your sort of, I guess, old school suburban, I guess, like your junglers, uh club now, it's, it, but it's the biggest one. It's like uh, they can fit 500 people in there for, for a sellout. And uh, you do get some, you know, a bit more of your, your blokey suburban humour there. Uh, you've also got Comedy Republic, which is the, the polar opposite of that, which is very uh, artsy and uh, progressive, woke, uh, and they are very diverse and they they pride themselves on uh, having very diverse lineups like they would, uh, I, I think they'd rather cancel the night than have an all-male lineup, which is uh, very, very admirable and they're, they're doing mm-hmm. quite well. And you've got the Basement Comedy Club, which uh, is run by a bloke called Carl Chandler, who's uh is he i call him the alex ferguson uh, I, again i'm bringing it back to sport but i'm using a british term. So sir alex ferguson of comedy in that he he's really good at getting a crowd he curates he's he, a lot of people don't like him because he he's very particular about what he, he just wants laughs and uh, i host for him a lot and usually you get the hairdryer if you're not doing well you get off oh. stage and you get you get pulled aside and you get a 20 second uh what, what, we, what we call a spray here in australia uh oh. just, and which i actually like i because i mean it, the great thing about it so you know if i'm doing one if i if i'm hosting and i'm trying crowd work and it's not working and I, or i'll try a new bit not going well go you up know, bring the first act on i'll get off stage i'll get the tap on the shoulder and it's, uh, it's he's very direct and australian with it it's usually a hey cunt, listen um how about you do your fucking job properly don't fucking talk to the crowd if they don't fucking want to do your good jokes i'm paying you to do your fucking good jokes <laughs> and then it's you literally three seconds later he'll go anyway uh do you want a beer he, it's over it like it's that's what i love about working for Carl chandler he's he, he's he sprays you Immediately, it's overdone with you, are mates again, and I, I, I really like that. I wish more, more of my life was that. People hang on to emotions too long.
0: You're basically. Are you saying that as, as comics are maybe too sensitive?
1: Definitely, absolutely, and I'm one of them as well. But yes, we all, we all are.
0: He's, yeah, he's, he's. And what, what, do you think makes him like one of these people? You get, you get people on the circuit that really don't give a shit and they're very like that and what do you think makes them like that as opposed to others that are very opposite of
1: of that I think it's harsh to say he doesn't give a shit he gives a shit a lot he gives a shit about the night succeeding and that's why he's he's giving you a spray so it's he he's I think he's just got his priorities in order what's most important is the audience have a good time not the comedian feels comfortable you know, yeah, and you do feel comfortable. Like he, he has these great rooms. That that happens, you know, just uh, you know, once every few months. And and and, well, i you know, it's it's my fault usually. I, I am the one not doing my job properly. And I I don't mind getting the spray. It's yeah, you know I mean? so, yeah. It's and now I think about it. No other promoter in Australia does that. Is there anyone in Britain who would do that? Well, I mean.
0: It, what, yeah, what I meant by that is that he he doesn't worry about the sensibilities like Gordon Ramsay. He just gets he doesn't worry about people liking him or saying good things about yeah. him. He focuses on the job at hand. That's what I meant meant to say. But he, yeah, uh, Don Ward I hear is a lot like that. He's very yeah, brutal. Yeah, I got
1: I, I got a bit of it. Yeah, I got a, a bit of a spray. Not a spray. No, I got a I got a an explanation on why he wasn't going to book me for a twenty which I still can't get like, I, I did the midnight show, did my 10 minute spot. And uh, you know, with all due modesty, I got very good laughs. And, uh, and he, you know, he, he, they said, all right, Don wants to see. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Sweet. <laughs> and, uh, and he just, he just went through my subject matter and he just went that shit that's boring. Come on, you can do better than that. No woman in the crowd wants to hear that. And uh, yeah, he said, but you know, Come back in a few months, we'll give you another try. But it was, uh, yeah, I would have preferred, hey,
0: cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure, let, let's let him know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in a polite British way. Like, Is Don still he around? He, yeah, he's still around. He's, he's always, I've seen him a couple of times at the Gong Show. He's always watching and he's, he's very, like, he's, He's not a big sort of rugby guy, sort of size or like height or whatever, but he does have an Mm. intimidating presence about him.
1: Got the aura of just uh, of almost like the old mafia guys. Just uh, has seen it all and uh, and won't and can detect bullshit. Won't won't tolerate
0: it. Yeah, he's very particular. Like I remember him saying to one comic who's really good, like James Loveridge. I mean, he's stopped now, but he was like a pro comic. And you yep. saying to him, "How the fuck did you get through my fucking gong show? That was shit." <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: <what I> <laughs> That's great. Oh, that's, yeah, fair enough. I did the I did the gong show when I first got to London, two thousand five, and it was down to me and one other bloke. And uh, it was sort of the it was the week that England had won the Ashes for the first time in thirty years in England. Uh-huh. And the I remember the MC just went, "All right, it's down to the Australian and the other guy." Oh, we're not going to let an Australian win something this week. And the crowd went, "No!" <laughs> so I came an honourable second.
0: I mean, it's 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 sort of gone full circle in a way because I think it'll be a very long time before England beat Australia in in in, in Australia, and I think soon yeah. it'll probably be australia winning the ashes in england they were close to it last time but it'll probably have to well, we, we retained it last time anyway hey
1: stop stop putting me back on sport i'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll hijack this conversation Marvin.
0: <laughs> no it's 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 yeah it's so there's a lot of brutality on both ends of the pond that's good to know
1: <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah but, but I, don't, I don't get the i think look and as a yeah i think as i said i like it and but a lot of comedians don't like it uh i i and i, I don't envy promoters because you have to work out how to how to you know get your message across in different you know whilst also a con you know thinking of feelings because the last thing you you would actually want to do is make a comic you make your mc cry when they've got to go up and you know close the first bracket so yeah it's a it's a, it's a thankless job, and I, I I I could never do it. So my hats off to you there, Marvin, for running a comedy night. I would hate to do that. Yeah, to be honest, I do hate doing it as well. At some points, but
0: it's 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 yeah, it's it's an intriguing yeah. It's a very um what a, yeah the sensibilities is probably one of the biggest things about it as well. And you got to be cautious if you're too polite, then people will try and try and
1: twist it the other way. So it's, yeah. It's, so how would you, ta- if you had a, if you do you host your room or do you, you book in compares? Oh, well, that's that's an, I, I
0: I often do a bit of both. Like emceeing is not necessarily the, my main thing, but my act is probably a bit more Tommy Cooper-ish. And at the moment I'm, I'm working on, do you know Tommy Cooper?
1: I, I know, I, I know the guy with the fez and didn't he die on live TV? Was that him? He died probably the best way to
0: die as a comedian on stage, doing what you love. And, well, he does magic tricks and they fail, and that's sort of similar to what I do in a way. And at the moment, I'm working on a bit where I'm playing a Cockney character, and I'm seeing how that's coming across. So I'm developing material for that, and I'm going to test that for a few months to see how that goes.
1: In my experience, you know, characters should not be hosting shows, unless the audience all know the character. Like a Dame Edna could get away with it, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's fine. something that we don't have that in Australia characters. I don't know anyone currently working who plays a character on stage that I can think of. We used to have a lady called her character was called Ethel Chop. And she was this very cantankerous, horrible old woman. And uh, but off stage, you know, her name was Andrea. She was she was delightful. So, but th- I haven't seen her for about 10 years. So I don't, I don't, that's it. like um, uh, the Frenchman, Mas, uh, Marcel Lecomte, Alexis. Oh, he's like, good. He comes out and he does well, but I, he's he, like, yeah, there's no one in Australia doing that. I think Aussie crowds would freak out if, a, like, and and Aussie crowds uh, don't know that Marcel is a character. I think that's why it works uh. here. We, yeah, oh. actually, I can tell you this, uh, two friends from high school got engaged and uh i I wasn't really friends with it like you know two people i know and about 15 years later they were saying yeah yeah he proposed after we saw a french comedian at the comedy festival i go there's not many french comedians do you remember his name Marcel, Marcel Leconte. And i go oh alexis you know that's he's english they were like fuck off (laughs) <laughs> like, so they got engaged that night he's a pivotal part of their story and they had no idea that he was a character <laughs> <laughs> he plays it bloody well man he does yeah my my favorite i love doing a gig with uh marcel my favorite moment is when you walk uh backstage and you see Marcel become alexis because marcel is you know that dour angry frenchman and alexis is the happiest englishman you'll ever see just you see that big grin appear on his face going yeah that went well let's go have a beer <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I like his arrogant. Where he gets a bit of wine, and he he was. He, there's this famous bit he does about the London Underground.
1: Oh yeah.
0: I'm not going to torture it, but it's a very. Um... Okay. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: yeah, I don't think he did it in Melbourne, so I can't say I've seen it. But it's it's a very yeah.
0: He's 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 a brilliant act, isn't he? He's
1: he's
0: um... he is yeah. So you mentioned there's something. So you gig for a few years on the UK circuit and you've been for decades on the Australian circuit. So you mentioned that there's not many character acts in what, in what other ways would you say that makes Australia circuit different than perhaps the UK and other comedy circuits?
1: Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm talking from a very dated perspective here because I've not been back to the UK in a comedy sense since 2008 was when i was last there i was there in 2012 but just on holiday i was on we were just flying through there on my honeymoon and i didn't want to see any stand-up whilst on holiday i'm not i got, I got mates who are just hardcore fans. like one of my one of my best mates nick cody uh you might have seen he's, he's a pretty big act here now uh he loves comedy lives and breathes it whenever he's not gigging he go, he's watching specials and and I just can't do it like whenever I watch um, and I do watch comedy specials but my I can't relax I'm there you know going my brain's going oh we're at work oh, okay this is it let's uh you know let's analyze let's think about what the next joke could be we should book some more gigs like this we should whereas yeah I can't do that now sorry what is different about it um Britain versus Australia it's pretty similar um I would say there is more crowd work in in England and 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 Britain there I'd seem to be a much more um, uh, yeah ability to do crowd work through through the compares and also a massive difference is comedy is a lot more respected over there like it sort of freaked me out when I'd open up a newspaper and there'd be the listings of, you know, the movies that are on tonight, the nightclubs and the comedy and who was on, even though they were, you know, semi-pro rooms, they would be listed in the newspaper. I mean, that just never happened in Australia. We, you know, you, rarely you would get sort of the, the big commercial clubs like the comedy store in Sydney might've listed if they had a big name headliner on like a, you know, an Arch Barker or a Kitty Flanagan or something, but normally they're just not there and people yeah just go to these clubs not through the newspaper uh i don't know if it's still like that in britain but it was definitely more respected uh there and you've you also seem to have those year-round west end comedy shows where people do their edinburgh show uh there we only have really the festival so, so you know melbourne comedy festivals in march april sydney comedy festivals after that uh brisbane and adelaide are before it but apart from that it's very rare you see australian comedians doing their festival show outside of it it's happening a bit more now where people like but it's usually people like jim jeffries or adam hills who have done it done the show overseas and then are finally bringing it to australia okay but is
0: this the, what's the, what's the humor like in terms of the style <clears throat>
1: I, it's pretty similar. I mean, we were a, you know, a, a British colony, you know, Brit, uh, we got a lot of British TV, we, we still get, um, you know, we get live at the Apollo on free to air TV, or I think terrestrial, as you guys call it. Um, so most Australians would know more British comedians than Aussie ones. So the style is is pretty similar, with, uh, but also we get a bit more American stuff. Like Seinfeld was massive here. Uh, that was one thing that very surprised me in uh, in the UK. Just no, no one watched Seinfeld.
0: Yeah, it's 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 interesting, isn't it? Australia and the UK are so similar in some ways, but very different as well.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you one thing. I really didn't like about the UK is. Um, you, you, you. Pub, there was nowhere to get food after a gig. See, here in Australia, you, you know, our pubs don't close at eleven. I don't, I, do yours still do that? They definitely did in oh five oh six. A you bit get, uh, at eleven o'clock. The be, you go a bit later now.
0: In some places,
1: yeah, a bit later. But would like so? But if you're because I was doing a lot of the you know uh, Mirth Control gigs and uh, you know g- you know places that you know outside of London, you know like towns like Loughborough and you'd, you'd go and you know I, I don't like you know you eat a little bit before the gig but then you do the gig yeah. you might have a couple of pints and then you go okay we're gonna get back to london so whoever's driving that and then you're like well hang on i've i haven't really eaten where, where can we go now in australia there's there's you know pub or well, pubs stay open till you know one three five 24 hours you can always get a drink somewhere okay. um and this and there's food that will stay open late so I remember just driving through and, and seeing what you guys call service road services coming up and you're like oh sweet I'll, I'll go there but then it's like just you can only get a bag of crisps and a, and a Mars bar you know there's no hot food available whereas our at our you know places there's always at least a, a pie warmer or it might be a, you know a McDonald's attached to it that's open 24 hours it just seemed to to be a lot more um, it, it, there, there were more options whereas yeah i really hated uh that you guys closed so much
0: well, oh is is you're in luck there, there's there, there's the mcdonald's are open 24 hours now a lot of the time oh you got so, one well done so yeah at least if anything else you got mcdonald's <laughs> it's
1: it's what sadly a lot of comedians live off
0: yeah i, I think it's because because our, our what's it called our, our um our lives are so all over the place in it because we have to gig and we can you know we may be planning something on the day but a gig may turn up for 500 pounds and it's like sod that we gotta head off there and it's yeah would, you, would yep. you say it's harder to build like a routine or discipline and all of that
1: in in do you mean in england rather than australia or do you mean just as comedians, compared as comedians. To- as comedians. It's very rare we would get a, a 500 pound gig just appear on the day here, unless it's a corporate or something. Uh, another thing is, because Australia is so far apart, um, you wouldn't like, you, you can't sort of call someone in London and go, hey, can you get to Newcastle by tonight? Uh, you know, because you, unless you're going to pay for their airfare. Like, you know, Melbourne to Adelaide would be the closest two capital cities, but that's still a seven hour drive. Huh and and that's you know so if you need to be on stage at eight o'clock you need to have booked the comedian by you know 10 in the morning and uh and be willing to pay for their petrol and, and everything but that that just never really happens it would be airfares there um but yeah as comedians yeah you it's it's amazing we 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 live a life that is so undisciplined uh you know you don't have to get up in the morning you don't you know you don't have to study you don't have to but at the same time, you need militant discipline because otherwise you'll just drink and do old material all the time and, and, uh, and, you know, smoke dope and play PlayStation all day. And suddenly you wake up and you're 40 and you're still you know, a glorified open mic. It can be, uh, so it's, it's a, you just need different disciplines, I guess. And, uh, and that is the fun bit, I think.
0: the, with the battling yourself, you mean, sort of thing
1: battling yourself and and the disciplines we have to have uh sort of fun disciplines like you know write material uh go watch other you know watch other comedy um you know keep performing keep getting up on stage and making people laugh because it can it does become work it's uh but you know it's it's such a only a comedian could sort of have that thing of like oh great I've got to go to the pub tonight I've got to be the center of attention for 20 minutes ah oh, this is going to kill me <laughs> and
0: what is is um so you mentioned a bit about Australia you've got the festivals and you don't do the like in in London we have the Soho theater and a lot of as you come yeah. as you say do loads of our shows from Edinburgh you can't do in Australia. Do, do the Australian comedy festivals? Are they just as long as Edinburgh, or are they a lot shorter? And like, do they have the same sort of awards or same sort of structure? Yeah. How do they work?
1: Mel Melbourne is very similar to Edinburgh. It's three and a half weeks, and you know the bigger names would do the whole the whole run. Um, I tend to do two week runs, uh, but yeah, definitely the award there, which have just changed the name of uh it was the barry award after barry humphreys who was dame edna but uh barry said some un pc things recently so they've renamed that um and i can't remember what it's called now but yeah that that would be the that's the equivalent of like the like it's the equivalent of the comedy oscar however if you ask the average person on the street who won the comedy festival they'll just say They'll think the person who sold the most tickets. So they'll say Will Anderson or Arch Barker or Ross Noble. Uh, so the average person, it's because because comedy's not as respected as it is in Britain. No one would, you know, if you if I grabbed an average person off the street and I said, and I listed the last five, you know, uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival most outstanding show winners, I think they would have heard of probably zero. I would say genuinely. Most people wouldn't have heard of any of the winners
0: oh it's <clears throat> and okay so it, it's and is okay but it, it's still a i mean is is it do you feel is 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 comedy sort of growing in Australia is it becoming more of a respect
1: it's not i wouldn't say it's 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 growing as in more people are going to see stand up and stuff, but it's also shrinking in that Australian media is not in a good place. Um, you know, I, I assume it's the same in Britain free to wear terrestrial TV broadcast. TV. No one sits down to watch a TV show that's being broadcast at a certain time anymore, like except for like you know sporting events and stuff. But most people are watching your Netflix's, your Amazon Prime, your the equivalent streaming Apple TV. Uh, no one's sitting down and watching you know Channel 7. To watch a show so there's not many shows being made and for the streaming services there's not no I can't a few comedy shows are being made but mostly they're just importing shows from America and Britain so there's a few TV shows being made here but there's really not much opportunity so a lot of our content is online like some of the biggest YouTubers are here in Australia so it's it's so people know the, their favorite YouTubers as for stand-ups uh i think you know people go to clubs like we're all you know i'm making a living and everything but i'm not sure how many people would know me straight from stand up mostly i'm known from uh doing i used to be part of a sports tv show i've done some sports broadcasting and uh so i've got a bit of a cult following with that but Just for stand-up, not many people are are known here. Yeah, you you got your big names. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Will Anderson, Dave Hughes, Judith Lucy, Denise Scott, Kitty Flanagan. Uh, They're all big. But apart from that, it's yeah, there's not too many new stand-ups that the average person on the street would know. Whereas it seems over there people know your... Well, you know, if someone goes on Mock the Week or QI... Then they're sort of known in the zeitgeist is that fair I don't, I don't know if qi is still big but these are the shows that i've heard of
0: yeah similar it's they're not they're not super big but i mean they're enough that they make a good living on it and they're very comfortable yeah. a lot of the ones that go on these tv programs yeah but it's, yeah. it's still not as big as it used to be like in, live at the apollo it used to be a much bigger thing than it is now
1: hmm. and that's that's because there's no monoculture anymore there used to be you know, five channels on TV and TV was the only thing you could really do. There was, you know, some, you know, people, some people listened to the radio or read books or played video games, but most people just watched TV and you go into work the next day and go, what did you watch? Did you watch, you know, ABC or did you watch Channel 7, Channel 9, Channel 10? And there was so there was like five, four options. And then, you know, you get a show like Seinfeld, which I said was massive here. So everyone watched Seinfeld. And so the dream was get on TV and you're one of people's four options that they can see. Whereas here in Australia and, of course, in Britain, there's so much entertainment, so many other things to do that it used to be, you know, you say, like, did you watch Friends last night? Whereas now you've got to ask, have you heard of Friends? You don't ask people if they've seen the show. You ask them if they've even heard of the show that you're watching. And we're all just split off into different little subcultures of uh, experience. So it's very hard now to become a very famous comedian that everyone's heard of. But you can definitely build a fan base and that's that seems to be the way we're all we're all heading and that's for all arts i guess like who's who's really famous anymore just that everyone knows it'd be politicians and even even sports stars because you know you'd have to be as big as cristiano ronaldo to sort of uh you know because people only follow their one club really so yeah
0: yeah it's 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 a bit of a like with comedy a lot of a lot of people that aren't into comedy wouldn't hear of like Eliza Schelzinger or some of these other big names, but they would yeah. hear of Kevin Hart because he's been in loads of big movies, and movies yes. are still a big thing that could catapult you to fame. But...
1: Absolutely, provided they're well, but they're not even making movies anymore, Marvin. They're they're like what they're making. Uh, you know, you know, I'm talking cinema released movies. Heaps of things are being made on you know the streaming services and stuff, but you know they Hollywood are just making marvel films it seems or reboots of whatever yeah like at the moment what do we got we got james bond is still still out at the cinema here in australia we were a bit delayed because we were in lockdown for a lot longer than everyone else um ghostbusters spider-man and the matrix i mean these are all these are all films that existed 20 years ago there's no big conduit for people to become famous it's Anyway, this is what I think about at four AM. What what keeps you awake?
0: (laughs) What? um, uh, One of the things, though, if you get famous too quickly, I mean, and you haven't sort of paid the paid the dues, aren't you going to be putting on a bad show and putting
1: people off comedy? Absolutely, yeah, and there is certainly people who do. I mean, these uh, you know a lot of YouTube comedians they they get a massive following because they do youtube really well you know they they get that cult following and then they do stand up and the fir- pretty often their first gig is to a you know 2000 seater theatre that they've sold out and the crowd love it for the first few minutes but imagine that's your first gig you've got no skills if it goes slightly badly you know you've got no you don't know how to turn it around often they haven't uh, there was there was a youtuber here i won't name names but um, Got very big, uh, twenty nine. Oh no, uh, twenty twenty. During the during the first bit of the pandemic, got massive here. Uh, he toured around last year at the festivals, and I knew, I knew a few people who went because they're really funny online. I said all he did was um, show videos that they'd already seen, and they yeah. paid fifty bucks a ticket to watch him go. Oh, remember this one? Play. <laughs> but, you know they're never going to go back to you know those. If if those people had never seen comedy before, and they go, Oh, is that all comedy is I guess I'm not going. It is terrible. But would would it would I think a lot of us would take advantage of it though if we were in that position? Oh totally. Yeah, man. I don't begrudge them at all. <laughs> Especially as I get older, you know, and you gotta feed kids and everything. Absolutely, God. I used to use you used to be an idealist, but that dies off in age. I did a I did a gambling ad the last two years. I've did a couple of gambling ads that uh <laughs> I was very when I was hosting a, a sports show. I was very uh, not nah, not doing. You know, I was telling telling the the agent not nah, don't. The, a few of them were like, "Oh, do you want to? How about not? Not at all, not at all." Show got axed uh, due to COVID, and I was and then I was like, "Yep, all right." Who wants me? And I was doing Bet three six five ads.
0: <laughs> hey, you, you got whatever works,
1: <laughs> whatever works, and I and I, I did keep some semblance of. Um, honor i said my my deal was i never talk about gambling in the ads i just talk about sport in general and then it's yeah, you know, it's just presented by bet 365 okay fair enough not the, but you know after two years of pandemic i'm sure if they said yeah hey, we'd like you to talk about the odds now i'd probably go well yeah okay fair enough just shove a
0: couple of thousand here and then no always
1: <laughs> you know I look at the kids i go you hungry again damn it all right let's go <laughs>
0: now one one of the things that i want to talk about now following on from that we said there is how i found out about you which was food of famous and you said it became viral and it was translated in mandarin your article on how to MC. now when i saw that i thought of Bloody! How many times have you seen bad MCs as made you thought you had to put up an article for it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot, um, and and in in Britain and Australia, you're just seeing and and all over the world. Like, you know, I've done some gigs in the United States and uh, through Asia, and you just see it, and they're, and they're all making the same mistakes. So I just sort of I got uh, I was at a birthday party for another comedian. And I just found myself uh, having a beer with two other guys who I uh, thought were really great MCs. And I said, you know, we should just write an article about how to do it. And, uh, and, and they were like, yeah, yeah, we should do it. We should do it. And I'm like, all right, sweet. And, and then, then one said, how about you just start it and we'll, we'll edit it. So then I just did it all and uh, sent it to them first. And they went, they said, yeah, that's fine. So I get all the credit, but they're, they're thanked to the bottom, Harley Breen and Justin Hamilton who are both good MCs, but yeah, it's, it's sort of, I do get a lot of uh, open micers saying I read your piece before my first MC gig and it really helps. So that if that's my legacy to the comedy world, then I'm, I'm happy with it.
0: And have, do you, has it changed a lot of the MC that you've seen or do you still see a lot of bad ones? Would you say?
1: <laughs> uh, well, I don't see many MCs because I'm always booked to MC. My style ah. is very energetic and I like crowd work and I'm, Yeah, I would say at least 75% of my gigs I am I am hosting, so I don't see too many MCs. And if if, because if I'm not hosting and I'm headlining, and usually I um, I'm getting there late because I've I've got two small kids, and so I you know if I'm headlining, I'm putting them to bed, then driving out, and the show's already started by the time I've got there. I haven't seen a bad MC for a while, but that's only because I haven't seen many MCs for a (laughs) while.
0: (laughs) But what what. So, following on from that, what would you say is your advice for um, building banter with the crowd and not being awkward? Because I've seen that a few times. And of course, yeah. Um, yeah. What would you What would you say your main advice for that is?
1: Two things. Uh, one, and these are both in the article. One is if you're if you're not experienced with crowd work, don't do it yet. Don't do it do it, uh, don't, at the start, do your best, best, most accessible material. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're, you could be the first comedian this audience has ever seen. And a lot of uh, people, are, they've seen, if they've only seen stand-up comedy on TV or in movies, they've seen someone like Jimmy Carr talk to someone in the crowd and just mercifully, mercilessly destroy them, which... To someone who's paid money to go see a Jimmy Carr show, that's fine. They know what they're up for, up for. They're up for that. Whereas, or if you've seen the film, The Nutty Professor with Eddie Murphy, I don't know if you've seen yeah. that. That's got a comedy club scene, and it has you know him just you know the MC just comes out and he goes right. You're fat. You're ugly. You're a dickhead. And they and audiences think that's what it's like. So they're as scared as you. So if you come out and just do material that they can they can you know, access and understand and learn the passage of uh, this, this, the um, rhythm of hearing a joke, laughing, communicating, and then do crowd work once they trust you. You've got to build up trust. And the other thing I would say is don't point to someone in the crowd and go, hi, mate, what's your name? What, you, what do you do? Because, you know, that, that person could, you know, they you don't know what you're going to get. They might freak out. They might not speak English. They might have a, a, you know, a a horrible speech impediment and just, you know, always ask the crowd as a whole. Hey, is anyone here from out of town? Hey, is, uh, you know, uh, hey, who's seen Spider-Man if you want to do your Spider-Man gear? And then the people who want to chat will reveal themselves. Then you talk to them. That's what I do. And and if the crowd gives you nothing, a trick I do now is uh, I'll say... uh, hey is anyone here from out of town no one reacts and i go okay who's sitting with someone who's from out of town and they don't want to reveal themselves because then you'll get someone dobbing in their friends but then i pick on the dobber <laughs> <laughs> so they're the ones that
0: are more willing to sort of
1: well absolutely and then it's it's just because uh, i don't want to you know you don't want to freak people out but then eventually i do get to the person who's from out of town and why didn't they want to say anything and uh and then, you know, you can lead in jokes like they're from witness protection and they're on the run. That's why they can't say anything. And then I'll build up an elaborate backstory involving, you know, their, their, their drug, they used, they were former drug mules and the CIA will get them. But yeah, these are the, this is the impro stuff I would do. But yes, uh, if you're inexperienced, save your crowd work till after the, break. So the the After the first break is the magic period of any gig. That's where the crowd know, you know, what to expect, and they've seen it, but they've had a chance to catch their breath, usually had a beer, that is where your best crowd work will be. So if you're, if you want to try, if you if you inexperienced with crowd work, don't do it. And, but if you do want to try it, wait till after the first break, that is where you're going to get your gold. And if it's not going well, abort, go straight back. Yeah. Have the material that you're going to go into in the back of your mic, in, in the barrel, ready to shoot. Okay. Hey, is anyone from out of town? nothing uh has anyone you know seen spider-man nothing okay well hey i saw spider-man bang go into your best your material that's going to bring the vibe back up because the audience you know they're in the room with you they know that you're struggling there they know that you thought you were going to get something then and they they need to be reassured that you know you're not frazzled audience feels what you feel so if you're frazzled they're going to be frazzled just pretend to be confident and they will fall for it
0: just put your shoulders up
1: put on the voice just smile smile's all you need just and you know and even call it like you know and you go like I've and you can sort of hypnotize audiences into thinking that you know if you keep saying you know you're a great crowd unless you're absolutely bombing they'll sort of believe it you, you've seen jason Byrne, the the irish comedian
0: i saw bits him, and pieces yeah
1: yeah, he's very does a lot of crowd and he's screaming and getting audience interaction. But I saw him doing a spot where, uh, you know, the crowd were not giving him anything. and He just kept saying, you're the most mental crowd I've ever seen. And I'm sitting in the back going, clearly that's not even iota. An iota of that is fucking true, Jason. But he kept saying it and eventually got him going. So it's hmm. a good little hypnosis thing you can do.
0: Hmm. Are you Is that NLP? Is that some NLP thing?
1: <laughs> NLP? Well, I don't know what NLP is.
0: Oh, people talk about it quite a lot, like neurolinguistic programming, saying certain oh. words to try and like hypnotize the audience or program people to think certain things.
1: <laughs> well, there's yeah, maybe if you just keep saying you're a great crowd. Actually, there's a there's a big comedian here called Dave Hughes, who's uh, got this sort of voice. All all comics can do a Hughesy impression, and he's he's really funny, but and he. He always uh, will say, one of his, he will often just say, oh, but you're a great crowd. Never forget that when he's trying to think of his next joke. And, uh, and he, he used to have this brilliant line that would uh, just always do amazing of like, as he's thinking the next joke, if he hadn't said it yet, he go, you're a great crowd. Don't forget, it's not easy to be a crowd because you can't do it by yourself. <laughs> that would, it was so dumb and the crowd would just lap it up and then he'd think of his next joke and move on but he just keeps saying you're a great crowd. So yeah, I guess NLP, that's good. I'm going to, but it is linguistic though. So it's just, it's just LP, Marvin. It's just linguistic programming.
0: (laughs) Okay, I've got it. I've got it.
1: Now now
0: with, um, how important would you say, this is a thought that I've thought of and I want to know what your thoughts are. How important is it in terms of getting your mind in the right sort of frame of mind before you MC and before you do a set? How?
1: Oh, wow um well yeah gotta how important is it it's important I don't drink before I go on that's one of my rules uh I just even if I'm I've had one beer and I'm two percent off my game I can feel that and I hate that so just having your brain ready is important and I suppose yeah just Wanting to be there is the thing. Like I, I, I love what I do. I love being the center of attention. I love getting up, and I, yeah, I guess having your brain in that space is important. But it's never been an issue for me because I, I love it. And, and you know, I guess like all comedians, I'm a bit egotistical. That even if it's not going well, there's a part of my brain going, Nah, I can do. It. I can get you. I'll get you. I'll win you. This next joke is gonna fucking get you. I'm gonna get you. So. I, yeah, I, I mean it's, it is important. You have got to want to be there, but I'm not sure it, if MCing is any different to doing a spot for Mindspace. I'd say it's just be ready, be aware that it's going to be harder work because the you know the crowd's always cold to begin okay. with. But I mean, occasionally you'll hit you'll hit goal. You know, occasionally you get a crowd that are just ready to go from from the first minute, and then you get to just ride that wave before anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. The, and it's, it's a very, it's a, it, it happens every now and then. <laughs> yeah. It happens. This is what's one thing that's good about lockdowns is uh, usually the first two weeks after a long lockdown, crowds are so up for it. And you just can say anything and they'll cheer, which is good because you are rusty as fuck. So it's like everyone's just given them. So they, the audience know that you're going to be a bit weak, so they've lifted... And everyone's just excited to be out of the house. Like, we had two uh, very long lockdowns. I think we were the most lockdown city in the world for a while mm. in Melbourne. Like, we did over pretty much close to a year, interspersed with little breaks, but then we'd have outbreaks and stuff. So it's been, yeah, that that changed the mindsets of audiences. In fact, when uh, this time last year, I went over to Adelaide, which hadn't had any lockdowns, and had my hardest gig for the year because the crowd didn't have that sort of... Um, mindset of, oh, it's so great to be out of the house. We're allowed. Adelaide had been up and going. So all the crowd were like, yeah, this is just another night out. What do you got? Mm. And it was, it was hard, but I won them over, sort of. Just about. <laughs> just about. Let's, yeah. well, in fact, none of your listeners were there. Yeah, I killed them by the end. They standing ovation, they cheered me out. I'm now the mayor of Adelaide. <laughs> how, how, how many times? It's,
0: it's a funny thing, isn't it, when, when someone goes on stage and they say, "Ah, oh, it killed in, in, in Brunswick or it killed in, like, when they're struggling on stage and they say, oh, it killed in this place, it killed in that space.
1: Oh, and I would say never do that, never do that because uh, I even don't like, this is just a nitpicky thing I have, I don't like it when comedians have a bit, you know, they do it, you know, you say you, you're doing a joke about, you know, you know so, and then they go, oh, I said that last week and a bloke yelled out, Ugh. I hate that because you should always at least pretend that you're saying this for the first time. If you, you know, you if you, if you're referring to, Oh, I said this last week, it's sort of reminding the audience. Oh, by the way, I'm just reading from a script in my brain. You're not special. Uh,
0: so how, how do you do it when like you're doing testing out new ideas? And like one thing yeah. that I've always seen is I see comedians, they come in deliberately with their book right in front and they let the it's audience not. know that it's just new material. How do Don't. you sort of, how do you put, do the illusion? Like it, pretend that it's, it's obviously what you just always, said it the first time, but it's not.
1: Um, Well, if you also, oh, so you're talking about comedians coming out with a book, even though the, the material, they know the material, even though it's older gear.
0: No, it's like they do it, it's completely new and they've they've shown they're doing no effort, no consideration or anything. Um,
1: Yeah, no, I don't like that either because you're not going to get a realistic reaction from the crowd. If they know it is genuinely the first time you're doing it, then they they actually will be a bit more judgy, uh, whether that's positive or negative judgy, like they might go, oh, yeah, first time, yeah, that was pretty good, yay. And they're going to give you false confidence in a weak joke or they could be like, nah, even if it's strong, they'll be like, nah, nah, you're not. Because sure. you're asking them to give their first impressions rather than just letting them hear the material. So uh, whenever I do a new material night, I, um, it's very rare that I do a full five minutes of new. It's usually like, you know, three minutes of new. If it's a five minute spot, like, you know, I try to do at least 50% new in that spot, but you just you start with a bit that you know works. Uh, or crowd work, you know, which I can... You know, I said in the article, you know, don't do crowd work, you can't do it. I can do it now. So I'll come out, do a bit of crowd work, then go into the brand new material. And then if one fails, do a bit of rope in between. Just you gotta, you got to just soften them in there. To use a, a sporting metaphor, you wouldn't put two rookies in the midfield, two, you know, brand new players. You'd put one at, you know, one on the wing and then your best centre half in the middle... And then maybe another one at left back, provided they're right next to a very strong centre back. You just sort of, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't put a whole, you don't just put it all out there. You gotta nestle them in between some strong players.
0: You basically said this a bit like a wolf pack. What they do with a wolf pack yeah. is they get the <laughs> the weakest ones in the front, and then they get the the strongest ones in the middle, and then the uh, the mid middle ones at the back, and then you get the the alpha at the very back.
1: Yes, yes, that's great. I love that. That is exa- I'm going to steal that metaphor. I love it. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I looked it up on YouTube because I've had COVID for like weeks. So I've had nothing better. To do. Oh, did you get COVID? Did you? <laughs> yeah, I had it. What's it called? Um, I was at work uh, on Monday last week and I was getting these splitting headaches and I was starting to cough as well. But I've been having a headaches for like a couple, couple of days or so. And it was a bit odd. So I got myself tested. It was positive. Then I got a PCR test. And so I, I'm not allowed anywhere out of my room until um, 6th of January.
1: <laughs> oh, man. I had it uh, start of November. I was one of the first uh, comedians to get it in Australia. And uh, I, I was fine. I, I was, so I worked behind the scenes on a couple of TV shows. And they made us do these rapid antigen tests before you go into the studio. And I just did it and it said positive, and I felt fine. I was like, fuck off. I even rang the producer. I went, you sent me a dodgy thing. It says I'm fucking positive. I can't come in. I'll go get a proper test. And they were like, yeah, fine. And then, yeah, got got it. And uh, I had achy joints for about 36 hours. It was a real letdown, I've got to say. But I've been trying to do material about having COVID and just asking the crowd, hey, has anyone had it? And I've only had one in the two months since I got out one person say they had it and she was not up for crowd work so i think it's going to be something that brings us all together and we'll talk about what we've had but at the moment because australia case numbers are just going through the roof it's the worst they've ever been so i can't wait for that because i i want to do some gear about having COVID with other people who've had COVID.
0: the COVID comedy night
1: yeah the COVID comedy the infected united <laughs> i'm to be honest it's it's it's
0: is it does it is a bit of a pain in it and it does have an, a bit of an effect on you but it is it is mostly for most of us just a cold slightly worse cold
1: yeah it's- absolutely yeah but uh you know if we we're we gonna get into the new world order and uh you know was it created in a lab or was it you know did no. someone have sex with a bat who knows the, the bit that i'm saying is the thing that's that's this just as harmful about it is the
0: fact that you're just in in, in one place the whole time like I've oh, yeah. got moved, moved out of my room
1: for a whole week. That's that's just as harmful as the thing itself. Well, what? thankfully, I infected my wife, so I was able to go through the whole house. And and, we, and my son got it. He was sick for about 40 minutes, genuinely. <laughs> that's all. Recovered. And my daughter, who's five, she never got it. It was weird. And, you know, it's not like we were isolating from her. She's crawling all over me. And, yeah, but she just, just proves that not even a highly evolved novel coronavirus could tell my daughter what to do. <laughs> oh well,
0: she's very lucky.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she 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 claims that uh, she ate a magic carrot, so she's funny. She's good. She's got she's got good gear. Good gear. She no, will be a bigger like... comedian than me.
0: <laughs> what What do you, What do you uh, Would you Would you go and watch her first gig, or would you let her absolutely. do absolutely?
1: Um... Oh, no, I would. I, I would watch her first gig. Uh, her, her next 10, I wouldn't. <laughs> but first one, I'd be there supportive. I would go watch her if she asks, but I wouldn't want to be there looking over her shoulder and telling her what, not. you know, you're doing that wrong. You. I'd let her make those mistakes. Everyone's got to, you've got to learn. It's ultimately an apprenticeship, what you do here. This, I, I think of stand-up as a trade. You know, like it's, you know, the same way that you would hire a plumber to fix the water in your house you hire a comedian to make the people laugh in the room that you've got so i'm a comedian by trade and yeah if my daughter wants to do that then yeah go i'll i'll tell her the basics and you know you know go go watch her the first time but then just get on the building site and learn Hmm.
0: and what what's what's been um what 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 have been incidents that you would tell her to be careful of. i mean that in comedy there's so many there's a lot of iffy things that go on here and then there's some we all have some crazy experiences what has been yeah. one experience that has shook you to the core in comedy
1: <laughs> Oh, um i've got two worst gig ever stories um yeah, I'll go, with, I'll go with the more recent one, which was way worse. So I, um, as I said, I'm mad for Australian rules football, AFL, uh, Australian Football League, it's here. And I was, um, my t- I go for the equivalent of like Leicester City, this team that is terrible. They're from a shit part of Melbourne. They're called the Bulldogs. And um, for some unknown reason in 2016, we won it. And you know, never heard of, unheard of. We'd only ever won it twice in our whole hundred and, hundred year existence, but we won it twenty sixteen. Went straight back down. Never, you know, got to the grand final again last year. But doesn't matter. Um, and I was part of that. I was I was sort of working for the club, um, doing funny, uh, doing some funny gear for them. Like I could go into it explaining the nitty gritty, but ultimately I was like the the official comedian cheerleader of the club, uh, and. I got asked by the club's president uh, who's the equivalent of the owner of the club to come to his house and do a gig for all the players before the season in 2018 started. And and I went, yeah, sweet. And he goes, mate, just, just know it's just the boys. We're going to have a few beers. Nothing's off topic. Go do whatever you want. I go, great. I'll be there. What an honor. So I go to his house. It's this mansion in the rich part of Melbourne and it's not, the boys. It's not the players. I mean, they are there, but it's the players, their girlfriends, the women's team, their partners, the board, the new CEO, and a couple of sponsors. And I literally walk into the party, and the president is making a speech and goes, "Oh, great, I'll bring you on in a sec." So I've had no time to adapt the set I'm going to do, and I walk and I walk out there, and literally, what the speech is saying is, you know, thanks for coming um we look uh, and he was announcing that the captain of the women's team had done her ankle really badly and was out for the rest of the year so all of the all of the women's players are realizing that they're without their captain with and they're about to go into finals the, and then he said to the male players look some of you are about to have a terrible season because it was their season was about to start he's going to be an injury or form or whatever's going on just know we've got your back but anyway uh anyway here's Danny McGinley So I walk on to perform to about 50 people who are all very depressed and I've since found out from players, because the male players were in pre-season, they'd had to run a marathon that day in 35 degree heat. They had no energy and they were there surrounded by sponsors and board members, they did not want to be there And I start doing the set I was going to do, which I'll admit the material I thought was going to be doing to some male footballers having beers was a bit more bluer than I would have done to that crowd. And it just went so badly, so unbelievably badly. I have barely worked for the club since. So that shook me to my absolute core. And I would say to my daughter, if a gig seems too good to be true, it probably is don't do it whoa
0: my god just seemed
1: too perfect to be doing a gig in front of my favorite footballers and they're all having a beer and a laugh no of course that's not what it was going to be it was going to be this corporate function just sort of thought more about it with my head rather than my heart (laughs) it's yeah
0: but they're they're sort of things that shape us or traumatize us which 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 do you think it is
1: (laughs) oh I did both absolutely did both um what what did help is um it went, you know, it went badly, and I, I sort of lost a, a fair few gigs with the club. But a couple of the players uh, came up to me and and were all, because because footy's a, a team sport. They were just doing the teammate thing of, oh, there's our there's our guys having a rough day. So they were they gave me a couple of beers and they were like, no, nah, it's fine, mate. No, nah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Well, you know, and then they started small talk and, you know, because I was ready to, you know, I was ready to call Lifeline straight after I walked off that gig. <laughs> it was very bad, and. Uh, and, but yeah, the, the players were good and they've all become good mates. And I now do a podcast with one of them. So, uh, which is one of, you know, which is going pretty well to do a, a it's, it, the, it's just the, the small child in me uh, would be very excited to be doing uh, an activity with a Premiership winning Bulldog. It's, it's huge.
0: Oh. And so I've got two more questions on from that because that's Go a very it. interesting point. So, um, what has been the weirdest thing you've seen in, in comedy? and following on from that like um what would you what is your biggest advice to comedy and what would you like to plug
1: okay um what's the weirdest thing i've seen on stage um what is i mean you just see a lot of people giving it a go and uh and you know trialing weird stuff that you just doesn't go anywhere I don't know. I can tell you one of the questions you sent through that I do have an answer for is you said, um, what's the worst emceeing you've ever seen? And I could probably say this is the weirdest thing, but um, when I was backpacking in Los Angeles in 2005, on my way to the UK to go live and do comedy for a bit, um, you know, I went through America and just had a bit of a holiday before I went in and we, we got to the hostel me And my mate, and they said, Oh, you're just in time. The comedy's gonna start in 20 minutes. And my mate was like, Oh, sweet, yeah, comedy. I'm like, oh, I don't really want it. Okay, fine, we'll watch comedy. And we watched this guy, American guy, literally just in a room full of backpackers, just racially vilify every single person in there with racially vilify the just every person in the room so like he's gone you know, he pointed to you know, just came out didn't do a joke pointed to two uh girls in front of, where are you from they went germany he goes we saved your ass in world war ii you fucking nazi watch with all your porn where you shit on each other's chest you fucking love it don't you where are you from another guy's like i'm from spain he goes oh like mexicans oh you're gonna steal my car going, what the fuck are you doing mate it's just the oddest, worst thing I'd ever seen. Anyway, uh, that was Conan O'Brien. Um, oh, bloody hell. Yeah. No, it wasn't. No. <laughs>
0: he is incredible. So, yeah,
1: though. I think that's that's the weirdest, worst thing I've seen him seeing. But my advice to comedians would be, this is actually, this is my favourite quote about comedy. And it's not mine, it's Jerry Seinfeld's. I heard a long-form interview with Jerry Seinfeld 20 years ago about stand-up. This is my favourite. You don't get to decide what's funny about you. The audience tells you what's funny about you. So if you, you know, you might want to be a Jim Jeffries, a shock comedian. You might want to be Ross Noble, this flight of fancy, everything. But if you get up there and you do that, it's not funny. Then that's not what's funny about you. When you do a joke and, and say, I, I, I wanted to be political when I first started, but then it just, those jokes wouldn't work. And then I'd do crowd work or I'd do... Uh, you know, I'd, I'd talk about my dad or, you know, and, and the audience taught me that what's funny about me is anecdotes about my life, chatting with the crowd and 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 dumb voices ultimately. So that's what I do now. So that's my advice to comedians. Let the audience teach you what's funny about you. You don't get to decide.
0: Okay. And that, that's that's a great... How much do you have to pay Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld for the quote?
1: Um, I don't know. I saw it. I've got it off a pirated CD <laughs> uh, that a mate had burnt off American public radio somehow. So, yeah, I, I think Jerry's okay right. for cash. I think he'll give it away for free.
0: Yeah, it's a great bit of advice. It's yeah. and, and it goes in very much with what you said about it being an apprenticeship.
1: And Yes. And uh, the best book I ever read on stand-up is a book called Zen and the Art of Stand-Up Comedy by Jay Sankey, who's a Canadian, was a comedian. I think he's now a full-time magician, Uh, but it's just got great advice for starting out in comedy and mindset and habits. So yeah, I can't recommend that enough. Zen and the Art of Stand-Up Comedy.
0: Hmm. Now, one of the things I want to do at the end of the podcast, um, what would you like to plug?
1: It's hard to plug uh, stuff uh, overseas because really the, the stuff I, the content I put out and I've put out in the past is, is so intertwined with Australian rules football. So if you want to see some sketches about a sport you probably know nothing about, um, check out my YouTube um, uh, and, and my podcast. I have two podcasts. One's called They Came to Play about um, all sports and one called Danny Boyd, which I do with the Bulldogs player, Tom Boyd um i've got oh oh um uh next up comedy my special is on that um it's i recorded it seven years ago now um but that's got a lot of my old gear and uh next up comedy is a streaming service in uk right that's i've got that right haven't i yeah my special's on there oh and the best you go if you for for the comedy nerds out there um getting so what i did with that special because it was for a, a physical dvd i recorded a director's commentary with a few other comics heckling me, and that got so brutal. And that was a couple of the guys who host the Little Dum Dum Club, that uh, uh, comedy podcast I, I go on sporadically, and uh, and my mate Harley Brain. So that's them heckling my performance, and it gets so brutal. And I think it's a lot funnier than the actual stand-up. So if you and I have that audio, so if any of your listeners want to hear. Uh, you have to download my special on Next Up Comedy. You have to watch it just so you don't miss any of the jokes. And then email me uh, himself at mcginley.com. I will send you the audio of that and you will you can enjoy the greatest roasting. It gets very dark, by the way. That is absolutely R-rated. Uh, the, like I'm pretty sure I'm. they tell me to kill myself within 45 <laughs> seconds of it starting so it's very brutal but it is a lot of fun for comedy for any comedy connoisseurs
0: well I want to say guys back home that is true love there <laughs> <laughs> now um, guys I hope you've enjoyed Danny Hope hope you've gained a lot of value from it hope you share it with your friends give us a review on Amazon or iTunes and I'll see you guys at the next episode.